Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Pretty good? It's good to be with you. My name's Tim, and welcome to Greater Alton Church. We're in a series of lessons. Uh, we're looking at the book of Acts. We're looking at the book of Acts all year, and we're really looking at this book in a new, uh, refreshing way. We're, I want us to be the book of Acts. I want this church to be like the book of Acts. And, and um, so we're looking at this book, looking at uh, what, what was the early church like, and in particular, we're looking at the conversions in the book of Acts. We're looking at the people that, and by the way, the word conversion means to turn. Let me show you a passage here up on the screen. And this is in the book of Acts. It says, the Lord's hand was with them. He's talking about the early church. That the Lord's hand was with them. And look what happens. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. That's what I like to see happen. I know today... Caleb is getting baptized after church, and I think that's exciting, yeah. And uh, where is Caleb? Is Caleb there? There he is. Stand up, Caleb. There he's the man right there. We're excited for him. And, um, and you know, that's what, that's what uh, the church is here. That's one of the reasons we're here is to help people turn to the Lord. And we find in the book of Acts um, 31 different references and uh, uh, accounts of people turning to the Lord. And so that's why we're going, to, we're going to look at many of them, as many as we can here in the next few weeks together. Um, one of the things that the, the Bible, when it talks about conversions, that word convert, uh, it means, according to Barnes' notes, to properly turn, to return to the path from which one has gone astray. Sounds like a U-turn, doesn't it? Uh, it is a word used in a general sense to denote the whole turning to God. I, ha- I found a photograph uh, today. I didn't bring it with me. Uh, and it's a, it's, a, it's a picture of a, a sign, a U-turn sign that has a buster on it saying no U-turns. But underneath it has this little sign that says except on Sundays. I thought that was funny. I thought, wow, really? You know, and, and I know today is Sunday and I want you to know you can do a U-E today, man. We hope you will, okay? Um, you can do it anytime. But I thought that was a kind of an interesting thing, that a lot of places U-turns aren't allowed, but in the kingdom of God, they're allowed every day. And uh, that's why we're looking at this. Hopefully, from this series, you'll learn some things about yourself by comparing your turning to the people who were doing U-turns in the book of Acts. Now, today, what I want to do is I want to look, if you'd like to turn your Bible or your cell phone, I don't know how you turn a cell phone, but if you want to turn your cell phone um, uh, or your Bible over to the Acts chapter 16. I want us to look at a fellow here, a conversion here of a man who God turned his sorrow into joy. We sing songs like that, don't we? You have turned my sorrow into dancing. Whoop, whoop, whoop. You know, I mean, I haven't heard that whoop, whoop, whoop in a while, but, but you know, we, we, uh, we sing that song and, and here in the book of Acts, we see a guy who's about to kill himself, and then by the end of the day, or the, the morning, he is full, with, full of joy. Talk about a turnaround. What a turnaround for this guy. Let's read together. We're going to start picking up here in Acts 16. We're going to start picking up in verse 16 as well. You know, Paul and Silas are in Philippi. They've just had an incredible uh, moment with a woman by the name of Lydia. Uh, the Bible says she opened her heart to, the mess, to their message and was baptized. She's spending time in their home. And so they stick around in the city of Philippi in the area of Macedonia. And, and uh, they begin to preach and teach others 
to turn to God. Let's pick it up in verse 16. It says, Once when they were going to the place of prayer, it says we, in other words Luke now, who wrote the book of Acts, is with them, so he actually was with them when this occurred. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept us up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the, to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. So this, this girl's walking behind her, well, behind these guys saying uh, things like, These guys are servants of God, and they're telling you how to be saved. And it's been going on day after day after day after day. And this is an evil spirit. This is not the Spirit of God doing this. And Paul, who doesn't want the gospel to be associated with, with evil, tells it's going to stop right now he's fed up even though she's telling the truth spirit comes out of her and with that her gift of fortune telling is gone notice in verse 19 when the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities they brought them before the magistrates and said these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And there's a riot about to happen here. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. So their, their, their clothes are stripped off of them. And they're stretched over this log with their backs exposed. And they start beating them with rods, Roman rods. These are birch, made of birch. And they're long and uh, several of them tied together, and they're beating these men till the blood runs. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into, into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house at that hour of the night. The jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he'd come to believe in God, he and his whole family. What an interesting story. You find here 
you find here a story of a, of a man whose sorrow is turned to joy. Everything around him is crumbling, literally crumbling and falling apart. Violent earthquake. His life is shook up. Whatever way you want to say it. He's blindsided. Woke up, startled by this violent earthquake. He's been sleeping through the night. And all of a sudden, God gives him a wake-up call he's never going to forget. I don't know if something's crumbling around you this morning. I don't know if you've got some cracks in the wall or you're going through a dark, despairing time, a time of discouragement. We all do, right? We all have them. Things seem to be just all shook up and up in the air at times. And there might be times when you feel like, I just want to give up too. Maybe you're not thinking of a dagger and running it through yourself, but you're thinking of just caving in and giving up and walking away from it all. It looks hopeless. You don't know what to do. This morning I want you to know that God wants to turn your despair, your sorrow, your discouragement, your depression into joy. He wants to turn it around for you. And you're involved in that turn for that to take place. Look at the Bible says up here on the screen in Jeremiah 31. It says, I will turn their mourning into joy. These people were in Babylonian captivity at the time. And Jeremiah, Jeremiah says, I will turn, God says, I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. And here in Psalms 30, look what David says. And this is where we get our song, You Have Turned. You have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Oh, wait, it's not in there. Sorry. You have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy. God wants to turn your sorrow into joy. He wants to turn your discouragement into joy. He wants to turn your worries into contentment. He wants you to have peace of mind and peace in your heart. That's what joy is. It has that undertow of confidence knowing I'm going to be okay. God's going to take care of me. How does he do that? How can God turn sorrow, worries, despair, discouragement, depression? How does he turn all that around? We see that here in this jailer. What happens to this jailer? Let me give you these three. If you want to follow along in the notes, here we go. God can turn my sorrow into joy, number one, when God finally gets my attention. And I want you to write finally in there, when he finally gets my attention. Because quite frankly, this jailer wasn't, get, wasn't giving his attention to God. God wasn't getting his attention until he had to have a violent earthquake to do it. You know, the jailer's at a party. He's happy. There's laughter. There's celebration. That's how the story ends. But his day did not begin that way. <laughs> right? You know, he's watching all this unfold. Here's this woman, you know, this girl walking around going, these guys are telling people how to be saved. And, 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 and he knows she's a fortune teller. And, he's, and he hears about the Apostle Paul saying, that's enough of that, come out of her. And these guys that were the owners of this slave girl are frustrated and angry and they, they grab Paul and Silas. He's heard about all of this. Hey, we're bringing a couple of guys in. We've roughed them up. We've beat them up. They've caused trouble in town. And we want you to take care of them. Gotcha. I'll, I'll be ready. 
And here they come, and they have been, they're beaten, they're bloody, they're a mess, and he doesn't do anything for them. He has a dark dungeon prepared for them. They're in Roman stocks, and Roman stocks, I don't know, you, when you think of stocks, do you think of uh, things like the Puritans and the Pilgrims and, you know, those wooden stocks? These things are awful. You know, the Romans were not kind to prisoners. Have we figured that out yet? Okay. And so their stocks were designed to even give you discomfort as well. You couldn't lay down. You couldn't set up in these things. They were made out of rough wood, and they, they fit awful. They were designed to hurt the prisoners. And so here's this guy, these two guys, put in these stocks. They're sitting, perhaps many scholars believe, this dungeon, this damp. If you've ever been in a, a, a home where they've got a cellar, a root cellar, and it just smells nasty, and you go in and there's a dirt floor... You know, I, I grew up in a home where we had a dirt floor, a cellar. We put all of our grape, ju- our grape uh, jelly and potato. It was awful. You go, go down to the cellar. I don't want to go down there. Why not? There's something scary down there. You, know, you turn on the lights. They don't work. Oh, man. Get down there. Hurry up. And you're fumbling around with a flashlight thinking any minute. Remember signs when they were in the basement and that alien reaches? You're going to get something's going to get you, the boogeyman or something. This is awful. This is, an, this is like the hole. If you ever watch Shawshank Redemption or watch an old 40s movie of prison, you're going to go in the hole. You can take me, Papa. Go ahead. Take me. I'll get you. I'll kill you and you. I'll get you all. Yeah, see? You know, I mean, that's what... <laughs> and so they're in the hole. They're sitting in human waste. It's, they're bleeding. They're beat up. It's a nasty place. I don't know. I just picture Paul and Silas. I just wonder what was going on in that hole. They're sitting there, and they're, they got to be. In, they're in pain. They're exhausted. It's they're messy. Hardly any clothes on them. They have been mauled, and they're talking to each other. What happened? I don't know. Did, did you do something? I didn't do a thing. I just couldn't stand that girl talking anymore. And we had to stop that, Silas. I agree. What do you think's going on? I don't know. You think God's trying to give us a wake-up call? I'm not going through that again. I can see Paul going, no, 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 no. He's got my attention. Man, Lydia was, I mean, did, that thing with Lydia, wasn't that cool? Yeah, but, and I could just see one of them looking at the other going, you know, Jesus told us it'd be days like these. You're right. You know, we're not dead. You know, Jesus said, it would, man, he, he was right. Man, I'm so glad. I'm so glad we're saved. Maybe this is where we are supposed to be. Maybe we're supposed to be in this dark place. Listen, Christian, to reach people, you've got to go through some crap. Paul and Silas are sitting there. They're talking. I don't know. One of them may have started praying. I don't know which one. I always think Paul was the stronger one. You know, Silas is the sidekick. Batman, Robin, you know. I don't know who started the praying. But they start praying. And then somebody starts singing. And they start singing. The prisoners hear them singing. They hear them praying and singing. The jailer, he's asleep. He isn't hearing anything.
It's midnight. And then the jailer gets a wake-up call. The ground begins to shake. And it just, such a violent, it's off the Richter scale. The building is crumbling. It's falling apart. The gates are bending. Like spring steel. They pop open. The, the loops that are holding the chains on the walls are, the cracks are breaking them loose and they fall to the ground. All the prisoners can leave. That's what's going on here. Look at the, what it says here in Acts 16. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once the prison doors flew open. Everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, I'd say. And when he saw the prison doors open, and he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Why is he wanting to kill himself? He knows by Roman law, if, he, if he's lost a prisoner, he has to finish their sentence, even if it's execution. And he's like, I'm not going through that. Roman execution is awful. I'd rather take my own life. So, it comes out of the sheath. And just as he's getting ready to kill himself, a voice from this dark hole says, Don't harm yourself. Praise God. Praise God. It's in the darkest holes that God speaks. Don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer calls for lights. He rushes in. And they're all there. And he falls trembling. Now he's still shaken. He's still shaking. This wake-up call has led to something else. And he asks Paul and Silas, What must I do to be saved? I don't know if you're like me. I've heard a lot of songs and a lot of sermons over the years. We hear lots of songs and lots of sermons here. And I can go through the motions sometimes. You know, okay, point number one, point number two, point number three, put everything up, we fill out the card, we go home. You know, and God trying to get our attention with a song. God trying to get my attention with a sermon. And sometimes I can sleep through those and God's like, okay, Tim, I need to give you a wake-up call. Nothing, nothing gets my attention like a disaster. How about you? Nothing gets my attention like pain. Look what the Bible says here in Proverbs 20. Sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. Is that true? Years ago, I've told this story, I'm going to tell it again. I like telling this story because it's about somebody else. My sons wanted cell phones. We want a cell phone, Dad. Oh, yeah, well, we'll get you a cell phone when we're ready to get you a cell phone. Oh, come on, Dad. All of our friends have a cell phone. I know you. Oh, I, I know that. He goes, well, what if we get in trouble? How are we going to get a hold of you? I said, well, ask one of your friends. They all have a cell phone, and they can call me. <laughs> no, man, come on, Dad. Get with the times. Everybody's got cell phones but us. Okay, I'll get you a cell phone. So I go to AT&T, and I get them a brick phone. A candy bar phone is what sometimes it's called. It's just a phone. It's made to talk. 
texting. You remember, remember those phones where you, it was before smartphones. You have a little bitty and you had to hit the button four or five times to get the right letter and you'd miss it. Oh, and you keep going. I was doing the daily texts on those. That was driving me crazy. And they had their brick phones. And, we, and I remember Denise and we give them the brick phones. And Denise goes, listen, you guys, you know, be responsible. Like that went in one ear and out the other. Be responsible. Don't text while you drive. Week or so goes by. We're having a church service. Afterwards, we're done. I get a phone call, and it's my son, my oldest son, Nathan. He goes, "Hey, Dad, what's going on?" He goes, "I need you to come over here. What's happened?" Well, I blew two tires on the car. What? Yeah, I blew two tires. What happened? Uh, I was getting off this ramp at New Pogue, getting off of 255, and the car got away from me. Are you okay? I'm okay. Denise is sitting there going, what is it? What is it? What, what, what's going on? Nathan blew both tires. What happened? Was he texting? Asking if he was texting? And I go, well, we'll be right there. And I hang up. Why didn't you ask him? Oh, well, you know. And so we're driving. We get over there, and there's Nathan sitting on the hood of the car, both tires on one end, blown out. I mean, they're almost off the rim, and he's sitting there. There's these iron posts, you know, that mark the edge of the road, and there, two of them are gone, you know, bent over. And you could see where he went, just right across it, you know. I walk up, you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Man, it's good. You blue tires? Yeah, okay. Um, well, I put my hand on his shoulder, you know. So, um... What happened? He goes, well, I was driving, you know, and I got, the car got away from me. I said, you know these German cars? You ever watch these old World War II films? They're always flipping. I'm surprised you didn't flip, you know. He goes, ah. I go, well. And I look over back at Denise. Like, ask him, you know. Yeah, she's in the truck. And I go, so uh, were you texting while you're driving? He goes, yeah. And I go, well, there's no use in yelling at you because you've already been yelled at. Huh? You've already got yelled at. I don't no point in yelling at you. So I'll get uh, Bowers, who know us on a first name basis, and we'll come get the car, and, and we'll get it all fixed up, okay? And so I head back to the car truck, and I'm looking, and he's like, I get in, because well, what was that? I go, well, I, you know, I, uh, I talked to him. Was he texting? Yes, he was. I knew it. I knew it. Did, why didn't you yell at him? I, you, didn't, you put his hand on his shoulder. Come on, yell. You didn't yell. I go, well, you already got yelled at. Somebody already yelled at him. What do you mean? Somebody beat me to it. And there's no way I could compete against what it was said to him. What was said to him? Well, it went like this. Boom, boom. <laughs> I said, how am I going to compete with that? I don't have to tell him anything. She just started laughing. Oh, my, that is true. I said, you ever had those moments? People are trying to tell you, be careful. You need to watch out. You do blah, 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 blah. And you're going, yeah, yeah, I got it, I got it. (laughs) Nobody has to say a word to you anymore. Because a painful situation got your attention. And that's what happened here. This jailer's shaking because he, he, he's, his life is being shook up. And, uh, and it's important, it's so important you get this this morning. When your life is shook up, it's very important you listen to what Paul said. Don't harm yourself. Don't, don't do something stupid and make it worse. 
Don't harm yourself. You know, um, what do you mean, Tim? I watch a lot of people harm themselves when they get hurt or discouraged. I have made it worse myself when I get discouraged and I've harmed myself. What are you talking about, Tim? People harm themselves with alcohol. People harm themselves with drugs. People harm themselves with pornography. People harm themselves by isolating themselves from everybody because they're so hurt. They, they hurt them. They make it worse. It's almost like they, they've done that. And there's a voice from heaven saying to you this morning, Don't do that. Don't harm yourself. But look what's happening. The building's come down. It's just crumbled. Yeah, aren't you glad? And by the way, some of you Christians need to hear this. I don't know which Christian needs to hear this. Aren't you glad Paul and Silas didn't leave? They could have left. And it, I am so glad some people didn't leave on me when things went sideways in my life. And you know, guys, some of us here, we don't need to leave, cut, and run when it goes sideways because somebody could be lost because of it. That we need to, you know, Paul and Silas, they, do they need a wake-up call? No. No. But sometimes to wake somebody else up, I'm going to have to go through their stuff. Like shrap metal from the explosion. I get hit. I've got to be willing to say to them, wait a minute, don't hurt yourself. We're all here. Something else about this I notice. When bad things happen to you and I, shouldn't we look at ourselves? What causes these bad things? Well, let's see. Let me think. Sometimes I do it. Sometimes it's my own fault. Sometimes somebody else is doing it, and I happen to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. And sometimes it just happens. And the jailer is on the right track, so to speak, because he is looking at himself. But that taking that sword out, guys, you know what that gets me to see? Is that God wanted, wants us to see more than... I feel sorry for myself. I don't even know what I don't even know what the word for that is. But that pity partiness we get when things don't work out like we want, and we just think, you know, I, I have a right to be. I'm just talking to me, and maybe I'm only talking to me. But when bad things happen to me, Denise will say, Tim, you just when something happens, you just go sideways so quickly. I I know, and I think it's because. God wants to use whatever happens to me to help me turn to Him. He wants to do the same thing with you. His goal is not that you hate yourself and have a pity party and end it. Am I making any sense there? He doesn't want it to devastate you. He doesn't want it to, you to stay in discouragement or despair. He doesn't want you to be depressed over it. Yes, He wants you to look at yourself, of course. But He wants you, He wants to direct you somewhere. And that's what painful things do, don't they? They direct us. They can, if we'll let them. Look what David says here. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I obey your word. What's he, he's talking about before and after. He goes, before, I was off track. 
But then I experienced this affliction of some sort. What was it? I have no idea. Maybe the rejection was Saul. Maybe it was uh, his son, you know, and him and getting into it. You know, Absalom and him getting into it. I, I don't know. It was, was he talking about his, the guilt he felt with Bathsheba? Possibly. He got off track and he, he, that baby dies. He's heartbroken over it. I don't know. I just know that he says, before I, I was afflicted, I got off track. But now, after the affliction, I'm back on track. It's interesting to me, and I was reading, the BBC uh, reported after 9-11, church attendance rose 20% across the United States. I was asking Vernon Matthews one time, he was alive during World War II, during Pearl Harbor, I said, Vernon, uh, does this kind of like Pearl Harbor? Did church attendance go up and all this stuff happen? And he goes, oh yeah. But Tim, the difference is, this lasted for several years. Pearl Harbor did. 9-11 will last only a matter of months. And, we, and that's what happened. Church tenants, there were churches at, all in, around the United States. People were running down the aisles, jumping in baptistries. They were, they were thinking the world was going to come to an end. But as soon as they realized it wasn't, they went back to their old lives. God gave them a wake-up call, but they didn't stay awake very long. Has God got your attention? Is God getting your attention? You see, you may not have twin towers falling down, but your own little structure is going to crumble. Something's going to shake it up. This jailer had his own little 9-11, and those are designed to make you and I stop and look. Whether it's our own hand, somebody else's hand, you know, all I know is this. I can't explain why some things happen, but I know this. There are, they can be. They can be opportunities to draw me closer to God. He's telling this jailer, don't harm yourself, save yourself. And so, maybe you're going through something this morning. I want to encourage you, don't do something stupid and harm yourself. Let God use it to direct you in some way. It may be your own personal 9-11 for that It may be for that purpose. This, this prison was the only thing shaking in town. The town of Philippi, most scholars believe the city wasn't affected. It was just this prison. And it happens, it happened, and God used it to direct this man, his attention, not just toward himself, but a little further, farther toward the Lord. So I would say to you, don't let this stuff discourage you this morning. Let it direct you. And when you do, you'll experience God's joy in your life. Number two, God can turn my sorrow into joy when I trust the Lord. See, that's what turning to the Lord is really about. It's about trusting the Lord. Look at Psalms 86 here. Bring joy to your servant, David says. Bring joy to your servant, Lord, for I have put my trust in you. Why is the jailer so full of joy at the end of the day? It's because he was turning to God. Look what it says here. It says, after, he, after Paul says, don't harm yourself, we're all here. He calls for lights, it says here in verse 29. Rushes in, falls trembling before Paul and Silas. 
Then he brought them out and asked, he asked us, he brings them out of of this dungeon outside and says, what must I do to be saved? Perhaps one of the greatest questions of all of Scripture. What must I do, he's saying. He is saying, where's this question coming from? He's fine. He's safe. He's not talking about physical salvation. He's talking about what he heard that girl say. These guys are in town to tell you how to be saved. He's, this, word, this question, what do I do to be saved? He's saying, what do I do to be rescued or to, to, to be rescued from disaster, from danger? That's what he's, that's what he's asking here. I mean, he's, he's heard him singing. Or he's, he's heard about him singing, if he hasn't heard him. Heard him praying. He's seen what their lives... He realizes these guys, they're spared from the earthquake. By the way, um, Christian, people are watching you when you're going through stuff. They're watching how you handle disappointment. They, they're watching... Everything from how you handle the wrong order at a restaurant to cancer and everything in between. He's saying, what do I do? He's saying, what must I do? The jailer is saying, look, it's something I need to do. I must do. I've watched a, a... What is it? I don't know. People become Christians, and I've watched people... I, I'm amazed. My brother, when he became a Christian, told me... He, gave, he was, a, he was a, into drugs, and he goes, I never was tempted again. I go, really? There's something wrong with you. Isn't that what some of us thought? There's something wrong with him. You're never tempted again. Never thought about getting high. Never wanted to get high again, Tim. I'm going, that's disappointing. Because aren't we supposed to fight it and struggle through it? Why are you not fighting or struggling? That don't make sense. You're going to frustrate a lot of people trying to, trying to break the habit. I wouldn't be telling people that so much, Danny. Ask him why. He, you can ask him. I've watched people, drunks, People involved in, in immorality, swindlers, flim-flam people make these turns. And for the life of me, I wish there was... I don't even, want, don't even know the word you call this. That most Christians have not got a handle on yet. What is it, Tim? They read this question like, what do we need to do to be saved? Rather than, what do I need to do to be saved? What are you saying, Tim? I'm saying, for some reason, this attitude of wondering about and worrying about what everybody else is doing, that you really have no business in, steals you and I away from what I should be doing. What's the word for that? Pride? Competitiveness? 
This jailer saying, you talk about God getting his attention. He's saying, what must I do? You see, I have something to do with my salvation, and you have something to do with yours. I can help you, and you can help me, but nobody decides what I do but me. And nobody decides what you do but you. So you really can't be blaming other people all the time if it's not working out the way you like. Hello! Did I say that? Yes, I did. And, I, I, and I'm saying this to you and to me. Because there's times I get all, want to get my can of worms and I want to have a pity party and I want to blame everybody else for why it's, my life is the way it is. And it's just wrong, folks. It's just wrong. If you want your sorrow turned to joy, it starts by letting God finally get your attention. That your attention's on Him and what He wants you to do. And you begin trusting, believing. Look at the question. Look at this question. Or this uh, answer that, I'm sorry, the answer that Paul and Silas give. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. I hear people argue over this scripture. Christians have been arguing over this for centuries now. Well, all you have to do is believe. He's told the secret is believing. Another word for, by the way, another word for belief here. This is a form of the word pistis. It's pistuo, the Greek word. And it simply means to trust or place your confidence in. And it's, by the way, this is an introductory statement that Paul and Cyrus are giving him. They're just telling him, look, you want the answer? It's to put your trust in Jesus. It's to believe in the Lord Jesus. Trust Him and you'll be saved and your household as well. Well, believe what? Believe what? What do I do to be saved? You say, believe, what am I to believe? And that's why this, this gets, uh, gets interesting. Because trusting the Lord, before you can talk about details, and he does talk about details here, your faith and your trust in God really matters here. Look at this in, in John 16. Up on the screen. Jesus said these words to his disciples. I have told you all this so that you will have peace of heart and mind. That's another way to say joy. Here on earth you'll have many trials and sorrows. Just because I become a Christian doesn't make me insulated from trouble and sorrow. Apostle Paul and Silas were in that earthquake. He says, but cheer up, buttercup. That's what he says, cheer up. For I have overcome the world. You put your trust in me. I've overcome the world. Whatever you're facing, we'll handle it together. And you can overcome it as well. Psalms 28 says this, The Lord is my strength and shield. I trust Him with all my heart. He helps me, and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. The jailer is told to believe in the Lord. But what's he to believe? Well, they tell him in the next few verses. So that's why this third point relates to this second point in a way. That my sorrow is turned to joy when I listen and obey God's word. It says, Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him, to all the others in his house. What do I do? Believe. 
And we're going to tell you what that means. So they speak the word of the Lord. Now you say, well, Tim, this is such a simple point. How long did you work on this point? This is too simple. I'm almost insulted by it. Don't be too quick. I'll insult you. I'll find a way to insult you before it's said and done, okay? (laughs) But this point shouldn't insult you. What are you talking about, Tim? If, If Christians are talking to you, challenging your faith about something, and they're using the Word of God, you need to listen and obey it. Oh, you're talking about listening and obeying people. No. You know, the post office sends me letters and information, but they're just the messenger. I get a letter from the state this week that says, an email, and it says, you need to get a sticker before it runs out or you're going to get a ticket. I don't call up People PC where my email is and go, why'd you guys send it to me? You're pretty judgmental, you know. Why are you trying to tell me what to do? No, they're, they're just giving me the message from the state of Illinois. And I'm say, simply saying to you this morning, even as Christians, we need to remember this principle. A lot of times I'm still in my sorrow and my funk because I'm not listening and obeying what God says. He wakes me up and I go deaf. He's trying to help me. They speak the word of the Lord to him. The jailer opens his heart to the message. And when he does, he gets this hope he's never had before. He puts his sword away. He puts it away and goes, you know, I'm going to listen. What are you you saying? This is the word from Jesus. Guys, there's something about the word of God that can give you hope and lead you to joy. Psalms 119, David said it this way, I find joy in your promise like someone who finds a priceless treasure. You ever been somewhere, a sale or a yard sale, and there's this thing and it's only 50 cents, and you're like, you're kidding? I've seen that on eBay for $100. David's talking about when he would defeat an army, an opposing country's army, and he would walk in and they'd open the doors and all the silver and gold of the treasury of that nation is there. And he goes... Wow. He says, that's the joy, the euphoric feeling, the, this, the excitement, he says, I get from your word, Lord. The Bible connects our obedience with joy over and over. Look at these verses with me. Some merciless people are trying to trap me, but I never turn back from your teachings. They will always be my most prized possession and my source of joy. David says, you know, I'm going through a tough time, but you know what? I'm not going to let go of your word. Why? Because that's what keeps me going. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. Well, when do they bring joy to the heart, Lord? How does that happen? It brings joy to your life, Tim, when you apply it. It's like good medicine. It doesn't do any good in a bottle. It's when you get it out of these pages and you start getting it in your heart and begin to apply it that that's when you find this incredible joy. Psalms 32. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad all you obey Him. Shout for joy all those whose hearts are pure. Because you have a right to be joyful. You should be joyful if you're obeying the Lord. 
And so, the, so Paul and Silas tell this guy, here's what the Bible says. Here's what Jesus teaches. Well, how do we know what he heard? What did he hear? Well, he, whatever he heard answered his question, what must I do to be saved? And we, we see this information he got from his response. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. Jailer, here's what you do. Believe in the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved. Okay. Now, let me tell you what Jesus said. And he's full of joy. I get it. I'll do it. He does it. And he's happy. Look at this. Look, what, does, what does he do? Well, first thing he does, the jailer washes their wounds. You know, before he didn't give a rip about these guys. And now he's, he's taking them to some, maybe, I don't know, some big place where there's some water, a fountain or someplace, and he's washing these wounds on their backs. That's called repentance. Some of those wounds, some of those wounds he may have inflicted himself. And so he's trying to find a... It's called restitution. Make up for that somehow. It says he immediately was baptized. Where did he get the idea that you need to be immediately baptized? Not wait for a baptism Sunday somewhere. Hello? No, immediately. Why does he think he needs to do it now? What's the Ethiopian eunuch say? See, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Why now? Where are you getting this idea? You need to be baptized now. See, in our society, our Christian society, a lot of people say, it don't matter if you're baptized. Well, why is it so important to you then? Why now? He got that idea from the words of Jesus, from what Paul and Silas told him. And then it says he brings them to his home and sets a meal before him. And this is, this is what I think is so exciting. This guy is, instead of pulling out a knife to kill himself, he's pulling out a knife and cutting bread. He's found out, my purpose is different. I have a purpose now in my life. I have, there's a plan in my life that I didn't know. I thought, it's over. And God says, no, it's not. Don't harm yourself. There's more to come and much better if you'll just listen. And so he has this purpose now. And he serves. How does he express his believing in God? He's a servant. He finds places, his mission field. He begins to recognize his mission field that's right in front of him. And these two guys need service, need help. And so he opens up his home. And they're laughing and enjoying each other's company. And his family is saved. Why? Because an earthquake woke him up. And he listened to these two guys who told him, answered his question, and he did them. He had come to believe in God. I don't know of anything that clears the conscience, that gives peace of heart and mind, like obeying Jesus. I remember years ago, Mike Napier one time, I heard him say this, and he probably got, he probably stole it. Preachers usually steal stuff from each other. He stole it from somebody who said it, somebody who said it. But I remember him saying, 
to, to a group of people one time, if you're not a Christian, you become a Christian tonight, you're going to get the best night of sleep you've ever had in your life. Why? Peace of mind. Peace of mind. It clears the conscience. I have a question. There's two kinds of people in this room t- this morning. And the first people I just want to ask you, are you saved? Are you saved? How would you answer that question? How do you answer that question? Well, I hope so. God wants you to know so. Or I, I don't think I'm saved, Tim. Look, look, look what David's, uh, David says here. I will shout for joy when I sing praise to you. You have saved me. And I want you to know that God wants you to be able to sing with joy and, in, and have joy, the joy of God's salvation in your life. And you can have that this morning if you'll open up your heart and open up the Bible with somebody and just look. And just look. And see what God says. How much He loves you and how much He cares for you. You The jailer learned from the words of Paul and Silas that he was worth something. That the, the Son of God died for him. No wonder he puts the sword away. Really? Yes. And I want you to know God loves you deeply. If you're not sure you're a Christian, I want you to know God loves you deeply. He wants you to know. He wants you to experience the joy of His salvation. But let me ask you, for the rest of us here, have you lost your joy? What's, what's happened? I've just been beat up so much, Tim. Yeah. Earthquake after earthquake after earthquake. I understand. Or maybe, maybe I've lost my joy because I've, the joy of the Lord, I've, I've sought joy in other things. And so the, this Christian life is not as glamorous or as sparkly or as exciting or tintillating or as, I'm not as curious about it anymore because I'm busy making a living and losing my life. Have you lost your joy? You remember when you were baptized, Christian? Remember those days? Maybe you were baptized here or in the old part or somewhere and people got around a camp and they got around a circle and we used to sing the song we used to we make fun of. We're part of a family like we're the like Whoville, you know. I remember somebody saying it feels like Whoville, Dad. That was one of my sons. It feels like Whoville, but we're part of a family that's been born again. And we do. Sometimes we laugh together, sometimes we do cry. And we share heartaches and sighs. And we dream of the day that we'll be together with God's family, right? Remember that? And everybody give advice to you? Okay. What kind of advice are we going to give you? Well, you know, I'm really glad you're here. And we're always swaying when we're talking. You know, it's really cool. Glad you're a Christian. Church is a better place because you're a part of it. Stay in your Bible. You're going to have some tough times. Can I borrow your car? What, what's that? What? <laughs> you know, all kinds of advice. We're all excited and we pray together and hug. 
I mean, that's what we're going to do with Caleb, right? We're going to squeeze him tight. He's like the big bear. We're going to squeeze him tight. So be so excited for him. And I wonder if some of us are going to go, I remember how I felt like him. I don't feel like that anymore. Why not? You can. You could. When you turn to the Lord, he'll turn your sorrow into joy. Look what David says. David lost his. If David loses his joy, you're going to lose yours at times. And look what he, he says. Give me back the joy that comes from being saved by you to being rescued. Give me a spirit that obeys you so I'll keep going. And I would say to you, if you've lost your joy, call out to God. Maybe pray this prayer this week. God, restore my joy. Restore my passion. Restore my excitement. Restore my focus. Restore my conviction. Restore my peace so I can keep going. You have a card in your your bulletin this morning, and I hope you'll take advantage of it. Maybe there's a decision you need to make. Write it down. Or maybe there's a prayer you want to, want to write out. Write that out. Or you maybe you have a prayer request. I need people to pray for me because I'm in the fight for my life. Everything, my building has come down, and I need help. Why not write that down? And let some people help you this morning. We're going to sing a song. We're going to give you time to do that. And then we're going to sing another song and collect those cards along with our regular contribution. Um, may God bless you. May God turn your sorrow into His joy. Let's pray. Father, oh God, you're something. I think about all the times. <laughs> I think of many times you tried to get my attention. A lot of people talked to me, went to a, read a lot of books, Lord, and, and then that moment when I realized, oh my, I've got to change. Father, many of us here understand that. We thank you for those. Father, we pray that if we're going through some stuff right now, I pray for those that are having that, Father, that they'll, that they'll not use it, Father, to discourage themselves or depress themselves but Father they'll let you use it to direct themselves to you Lord thank you for examples like this Philippian jailer Lord there's many I just think there's many times we have hurt ourselves we hurt ourselves well now Father we just ask that you heal us heal us and make us whole there's someone here Father they've lost their joy would you give it back to them Lord Give them back the joy they had when they were saved that day of their baptism. Let them know they can have it all like that again, Father. Father, I pray that for Janet, and I pray that the surgery she'll be going through and the stuff she'll be going through, Father, that'll make her body heal. Father, I pray for Jackie Tarantino and for, for Stephanie and for a host of others, Father, you know, for the Simpson family, Father, they're going through a loss in their, home, in their family. Father, I, it's dark. It's dark. It's damp. 
it's scary. As Christians, Father, we, we pray that in our dark days we can have the faith of Paul and Silas and look at each other and say it's okay. Somebody is needing Jesus, so we'll ride this through. Father, I pray for this church, for Greater Alton Church. Father, I pray, I pray that, this, that we be a church closer to the book of Acts than we ever have before, Father. And Lord, I pray that, that your hand be on us this week, be on us, so that great numbers of people will believe and turn to you. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.